Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. Between Two Gardens is the current sermon series. It is brand new today. I hope you're a little bit intrigued by the kind of eerie music that just happened. Uh, this series is an interesting one. It's an intriguing one. It really came from our deeply held belief that we are called to be solutions to our world, right? The, the salt and light of the earth. We're called to bring the flavor, the vibrancy, the passion, the light yeah. to life. That's our job. And we often say that we are solutions looking for a problem. I think most Christians sort of see themselves as looking for problems just to nitpick, but we're solutions to the problems as well. That's our calling. And we believe that we exist on this planet for a relatively short amount of time, right? We were created in a garden, a perfect place, and someday Jesus is coming back and we're going to have another perfect place. But in the meantime, we're in this giant thing called life in between two gardens. And how do we handle that? How do we handle the issues, the evil in our world? And how do we especially go about fixing it, right? Next week, Jason is going to preach about some of the crazy evil things in our life, in this life, in our world. The, the sex trafficking and the slavery. And how do we even go about fixing such big issues. There are things that God has given us that we can do, and he's going to preach about that next week. And the week after, we're going to have a ministry that's local here that you can actually do something here to help fix the evil in this world. And so I thought for this first week that we should probably go back to the beginning, right? It's a very good place to start after all. So we're going back to the beginning today, and here's the reason for this, really. Before you go about helping others, it's important that you settle some things in yourself first. Have you ever heard the phrase, hurt people hurt people? Hurting people react out of that pain and go about hurting others, right? We've done it before. We lash out at the world around us, and we see people doing this. They go about hurting each other. Now, we have a saying around here that goes, saved people serve people. Yeah. Saved people serve people because we have hope. We have joy. We have love. We get to serve our world with that and be the salt and light of the earth. And there's a reason that on the plane they will tell you to put your own oxygen mask on first, right, before putting it on your kids. Because if you're passed out, you're not much help to the kids, are you? Put your own mask on first, and then let's reach out to others. And so that's why we're going back today. Genesis 2 is where we're going to start, verse 15. We're, we're just going to read a couple of verses out of Genesis 2 to give you some context and then move on and read Genesis 3. We are skipping a lot. Genesis 1 and 2 have a lot to say about the creation story, and I... I actually have a ton of stuff linked in the sermon notes on our app. Search Effie Church in your app store. Click on sermon notes, and there's like five links of just amazing stuff. There's this amazing website called AnswersInGenesis.org that if you are into science, if you like researching that kind of stuff, and you have trouble with faith because you can't quite reconcile the like millions of years evolution thing and the creation thing, and does the Bible actually match science and all of that, go to AnswersInGenesis.org, click on some articles. You'll just never stop reading articles. They're just, it's so interesting and amazing. And it always helps me, at the very least, to know that there are people out there that have thought this stuff through. I don't have to remember all of the facts about dinosaurs and the way that God created the earth and how that actually works, but that someone has, and I can find the answers if I need to. And so I link to that in the sermon notes along with a ton of other stuff. Check it out this week. So Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him. Now listen carefully to his words here because this will matter later. 
You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. We know that God says things when he says things. It's with a purpose, right? And so listen to this one more time. You may freely eat the fruit of the tree, of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Now let's skip to Genesis 3. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say, did God really say, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Is that what God said? No. 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 Should we read it again? You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So did God really say you must not eat the fruit? Now, I want you to, to understand what's happening here. Because Satan, back then, was tempting us the same ways that he's tempting us today. And he's really good at it. Remember two weeks ago, I told you to keep your spiritual eyes open, to stay awake? This is why. Because it's really, really easy to doubt God's word, to even doubt what he said and how he said it. And that's what Satan's going after here. He's twisting. He's causing her to doubt exactly what God said. And, you know, we only have two instances in the word that I know of that give us a direct picture between Satan and a human tempting them. There's really only two where we we get to listen in on the conversation. And it's here in the Garden of Eden. And it's Jesus being tempted out in the wilderness. And in both cases, Satan tries to twist the words of God just a little bit. Just a little bit. There's a lot of truth in there and just a little bit of deception. He still does that today. Jesus knew the word of God inside and out. Eve, you'll see, has a little bit of trouble. Of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. So far, so good, right? All that's true. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. Is that what God said? Or even touch? Did he say anything about touching it? No. If you do, you will die. So here's the thing about this. And... (laughs) It's something that we still do today, but I'm not even sure we realize that we do it, and I'm not sure we realize that it's dangerous. Eve, or maybe Adam, I actually have a theory that maybe it was Adam that told her not to touch it, because Eve wasn't created when God told Adam not to eat the tree from the garden. So maybe he repeated himself to her, or maybe this is just Adam passing along the information, and hey, don't even go near it. Like, just don't even touch it, right? Don't eat it, don't touch it. He added something to the word of God. Here's the thing. The word of God does give us fences. There was a fence here. There was a a strategic place to not go. And the only thing God said was to not eat the fruit. There's the fence. Do not eat the fruit. What if that fruit was good for, like, painting with, you know, or, uh, I don't know, using the outside of it for, like, something else? Maybe it was useful for something They just weren't supposed to eat it, but they put an extra fence around eating. They built more things in between them and the bad thing. We do this too, and it's dangerous because sometimes sometimes we jump a fence of God's, right? Go past it. We go do the thing we know we shouldn't do, and there's pain there, and so we back away real quick. Ooh, shouldn't do that anymore. I'm going to put an extra fence around that. I shouldn't go get drunk anymore. I've become an alcoholic. It's, there's pain there, so I'm going to put a fence around alcohol. Even though God says drunkenness is very bad. In fact, there's a lot of verses about drunkenness. It doesn't say much about drinking alcohol, right? So we, but we put an extra fence. I'm just not going to drink alcohol. And then even that's dangerous because it leads us into paths we don't want. So we put another fence I'm just not even going to go to the bar. I'm not going to go to that place where it leads me to the alcohol, where it leads me to drunkenness. And then we put another fence around not even being around those friends anymore because they lead me to the bar and they lead me to see the pattern. The problem, and extra fences are fine if you're trying to build up 
the strength. The problem lies when you try to put those fences on other people. And we do this a lot. We over shelter children. We put extra fences, all these extra fences around the word of God. And what happens is, just say they're an electric fence. Let's picture a literal fence. There's eight of them between me and the thing I shouldn't do. The last one is the only fence God put up, and it's electrified, but the other seven aren't. So what happens is I go up and I gingerly touch the first one just, just to see. It's not electrified, so I jump it. The next one, gingerly touch it. It's good, too. So I jump it. By the third one, do you think I'm as gingerly testing anymore? Fourth one? Fifth one? By the sixth, seventh one, I'm just hopping them because now I'm convinced none of them actually have electric. There's no danger behind any of them, right? And I'm suddenly doubting everybody who told me that there was danger. My parents who told me all the extra things. Probably God's fence isn't even real either, right? Because I just jumped all those and nothing went wrong. So we jumped the last one too. Fully like hands on it. And of course it lays us out, doesn't it? And now we have to rework all of these systems in our head for what's right and what's wrong. It distorts things when we get the word of God wrong. It's okay to put extra fences up between you and something you've already felt pain on. But to put those on other people can be dangerous. We have to know what the word of God actually says. Because here, in this case, Eve picked up the fruit, touched it, saw that nothing happened, and then ate it. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman in verse 4. You won't die. (laughs) That's ridiculous. You're not going to die. Right now he's causing her to doubt the consequences of jumping the fence. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. You'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now he's playing to her pride a little bit. Ooh, I'll be like God. God's withholding something from me? I mean, God doesn't want me to have something good? That doesn't sound like him. We, we do this. I don't know if those voices, those thoughts sound familiar to any of you, but they do to me. Convince myself that, God, there's no way God would want me not to have this good thing. Says I shouldn't have sex before marriage, but there's no real harm in it. Right? God wouldn't want me to have not feel good. And so we jump the fence. Honestly, this is why we don't live by our emotions. Satan's really, really, really good at manipulating emotions. He was then. He is now. We walk by faith, not by sight. We don't live by our emotions. We live by the word of God. Because those fences are real, and they're there for a purpose. The woman was convinced... She saw that the tree was beautiful, so she must have been close to it enough to see it. Its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit, held it, and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And we're going to keep reading, but... There's a lot of apologetics in this sermon, and that's just a big Christian word that means defense of our faith. There's a lot of information here, and the reason that's important for you to identify up front is first you should be taking notes. Always come to church taking notes. Get your phones out right now. I don't care, but take some notes. Write some stuff down because... I don't actually know. I I feel like I'm just throwing out percentages. But I feel like 99% of us are afraid to evangelize, to tell people about Jesus in our world because we don't know enough. I mean, we go around home group circles and we say, you know, how can you bring more people to Jesus? And they're all like, well, I just don't, I just don't know enough. Like, what if they ask me a question that I can't answer? And then I I do injustice to the word of God. I don't want to do that. Right? We rely more on faith sometimes than actual knowledge. We, we have our questions of our own that we don't know how to answer. We just leave them unanswered because faith. The thing about our faith is you don't have to just have blind faith. The answers are out there. They are. The cool thing, I just have a little fun apologetic fact. 
There is a principle called the doctrine of clothing. I just read about this this week. That says the fact that we're all wearing clothing today is actually proof that this story is real. Because if the evolution story is real and we just evolved from sludge and, and animals, animals don't know that they're naked. Why would we all be wearing clothes right now? We, we, did, we never would have come across that knowledge in natural evolution. The more logical strain of history says that this story is true. It's the doctrine of clothing. These are apologetics facts. But their eyes were opened, and so they wore clothing. Their eyes were opened. Here's another common question about this story. Why would a good God... Why would a good God put that tree in that garden in the first place? Why would he do that? I just can't believe in a God that would do that. That's the other thing. We want God to fit our box instead of learning about his, right? And here's the, there are two answers to that question. Why would a good God put that tree there in the first place? Number one, God is love. And love cannot exist without a choice. You cannot force someone to love you. In fact, have any, have any of you ever been in a relationship where you tried, kept them in the relationship for longer than they wanted to be there? It doesn't work. Forcing someone to love you doesn't. You, you can force them to act like they're loving you for a while. But you can't force the feelings. Otherwise, it's not love. Love cannot exist without a choice. And so God put a choice in the garden. Choose to love me. Choose to trust me. Or don't. It's up to you. It's free will. Love cannot exist without a choice. Do you know trust is not actually the absence of doubt or temptation, by the way? We think that sometimes. In relationships, we think, I have to remove all of the girlfriends, the ex-girlfriends from his life, and I just have to remove all of the... He just can't talk to women anymore. Then I'll trust him. Does that work? No, because trust isn't the absence of temptation. It's the refusal of it. If they can have the girlfriends in their life and still be committed to you, then you can trust them. Removing the temptation doesn't help. It's not trust, then. It's not love, then. Number two, perfection doesn't actually help us. We want to think that living in a perfect world, we would be perfect people. But it doesn't actually help us. Remember the battle series where we talked about being spoiled, rotten brats. If God said yes to everything that you ever wanted, if, if you, you come across a child that has that in their life, never been told no, have everything that they want, is that a person that you want to be around? Nobody wants to be around that kid. Nobody wants to be around you. If everything goes well in your life, you've never learned a lesson about anything. Spoiled, rotten, brat perfection doesn't help us. We want to blame all the issues in our life when they're the thing that are refining us, making us into better people, useful people in the hand of God. And maybe this is why we sometimes stay in the dark about God's purposes, the purpose of God. You know, I, I don't know how many times I've been in a situation where I said, God, why? Why would you do this to me? Why do I have to walk through this? Why am I in pain? Why is everybody against me? Why are they saying mean things? And I just get nothing from God. Like, no answer whatsoever. <laughs> we cry out to God. He just doesn't answer, and we have to keep walking through it, putting one step in front of the other. And I think we as humans tend to be like, Proverbs 26, 11 says this, we tend to be like a dog returning to its vomit. Like fools to folly, it says. We go back again and again and again to the ick. The grossness. But we go back like a dog to its vomit. And I think sometimes God just wants to see us move through the pain a little bit. Feel the pain a little bit so that we don't go back again and again and again. I think this is actually why the world wants to throw pills at you, alcohol, just, just numb the pain, right? If, if I can just numb the pain and not feel it, then I won't, I won't ever have to feel it. I'll move through it. That's not how it works, though, unfortunately. If, if you just medicate the pain away, it just keeps coming back. 
You have to move through it to the other side to acceptance and forgiveness to where you can love again in a healthy way. God wants you to move through it, not around it, through it to where you can be a whole person again. Learn the whole lesson so we don't return to it. Some of you are asking right now, why is this evil in my life? Right? Why do I keep going back? Why is, is everybody against me? Why is there this sickness in my life? Whatever it is. And the story of Adam actually answers this in two ways as well. Number one, you, you may have brought it on yourself at some point. And I know that hurts to hear and it's no fun. <laughs> There's another answer coming. But you may have brought it on yourself at some point. Adam and Eve wanted their eyes to be opened. And we'll read in a minute the punishments they got for that. They wanted their eyes to be open. And in doing so, they were essentially saying to God, I would rather do it my own way. Thanks. I don't trust that you've given me everything I need to survive and, and thrive. In fact, I, I feel like you're withholding from me. So I'm going to do this my own way. Get the knowledge and wisdom you don't want me to have. And it'll work out. <laughs> but does it? We see this most commonly in teenagers. I think of yourself as a teenager. There's this insatiable desire to know things, to do things you shouldn't, a knowledge you probably shouldn't have and your parents wish you would just wait a little longer to have, right? But we can't help ourselves. We want our eyes to be opened and we want the pain that comes with it, obviously, because we've been warned we think we know better. And by, by adulthood, we've learned a thing or two, right? We've jumped a couple of fences and realized that there's pain there. And so we settle down a little bit. But what you have to know is, especially if you're young today, there are doors you can open, but they can't be shut again. There are doors you can open. They are available for you to open. They are behind fences. You should not be jumping, and they cannot be closed again. Don't worry, we're getting to the merciful, gracious part, okay? But you have to acknowledge the, the sort of painful part first to get there. There is grace and hope again on the other side when you give it to God. But there are doors that cannot be shut. Be careful. Please be careful. I used to teach this with the kids. Um, we, we always had the spiritual uh, series, I guess, around Halloween. And I talked about how this is true in like the spiritual as well. There is information to be had in the spiritual world. You can go to a fortune teller. You can get information from a fortune teller. Some of it might even be true. But when you go to outside sources other than God, Satan only has three jobs. Do you know what they are? To kill us, steal from us, and destroy us. So there might be a little bit of truth and a little bit of lie. And it's going to get you to come back and come back again and come back again till there's not much truth left and it's a whole lot of deception and it's killing you, stealing from you, and destroying you. That's its purpose. There is information to be had out there. Satan knows a thing or two. He's been around a while. He knows things about the spiritual world and the physical world. But it's meant to kill you, ultimately. Steal from you and destroy you. There are doors you can open that can't be shut. The second reason you might be experiencing evil in your life right now is that other people's eyes have been opened. This is the one... Uh, I mean, I, I know that we don't like the idea of bringing things on ourselves, but the idea of other people's evils bringing evil on me is even worse, I think. We don't want to deal with that. Shouldn't God protect me? Yes, and he probably has from a lot of things that you didn't even know he was. But other people's eyes being open bring evil into the world too, and sometimes that has a ripple effect spills over onto you. It may have been your parents, your parents' parents, and something passed down from generation to generation, or maybe it's just the random drunk driver that moves into your lane a little bit, right? There are things in this world that you can't explain. Other people's evil spills over onto you. Either way, 
it's not what God wants for you. This is what you have to know. Because he doesn't always prevent it, but he doesn't want you to jump that fence and experience the pain on the other side. He doesn't want other people jumping fences and experiencing the pain on the other side. This is why he puts the fences there in the first place. So that your evil doesn't spill out onto the people around you. Onto yourself. He wants it contained. God specifically made a garden for Adam. For Adam. And put him in it. By choosing the knowledge from the tree of good and evil. Some, some versions call it the tree of conscience. They were choosing to make their own decisions. To make their own garden. And so in response, God said, okay, go make your own garden. It's not going to be perfect because you made it. Not me. I made you one. You didn't want it. So instead of the perfect one God had planned for them, they had to go out and make their own. We do this too. We, we say, God, I don't need to tithe. I'm not. 10%, that's a lot of money. Right? I'm going to do my finances my own way. Thank you very much. And God says, okay, you can. Go for it. See how you like it when you handle your finances instead of me. And we do this in sex lives, right? I, I, I don't need to wait for marriage to satisfy my lust. That's an antiquated thing when diseases were, I don't know. That's just, that's old. God says, okay. See if you like that person you chose more than the one I chose for you. See if you like the, the ties you create to them without knowing it. Go ahead. And if you think God's not snarky like that, read the book of Job, by the way. Because <laughs> he is. He literally said to Job, as he's complaining about all the things going on wrong in his life, he said, Job, who makes the waters come out from out of the earth? You? Who makes the stars shine in the heavens? Who brings the sun up every day for you? You? <laughs> and he's sarcastic with them. Who remembers the story about Moses? I preached a few months ago where Moses said, God, I can't do what you called me to do. I don't speak well. My mouth doesn't work. I'm not a public speaker. And God looked back at him and said, what? Who makes mouths? Who makes mouths, Moses? Who makes mouths? You? Because <laughs> guess what? I can probably fix that problem for you. I made it. God can be a little snarky sometimes. <clears throat> he is the creator. Uh, the other problem people have with the story is uh, it's not their fault, right? They were tempted by the tempter. How could they possibly? They didn't have the tools to live up to this. So why would God punish them like this? But the thing is, Jesus was also tempted by the tempter. He knew the word of God inside and out. And there's three ways to ward off temptation you have available to you. And number one, know the word of God. Know the actual words of God. What I'm giving you is like regurgitated words of God. My take on the words of God. Go to the word of God yourself. I'm begging you. If you don't hear anything else today, hear that. Go to it yourself. It is life-giving and powerful. Alive and active, the word says. It will change you from the inside out. Don't just read it. Like Tim Bennett said last week, he said, the Bible doesn't say to just read it. Study it. Get it deep down in there. Memorize it. Understand it. I can already hear the excuses. I just don't get the same thing out of the Bible that you and Jason do. Right? I just don't under like, like we have some sort of magical line to God that nobody else in the universe has. No. It's just not true. I study this thing all week long, a month long sometimes. I, I mine it for the gems that it has. Figure it out. There are so many sentences, especially in Genesis, that you can just pass right by. But if you think about them a little deeply for a second, it comes alive. He knew the word of God. Number two, the garden must have been large. But notice when and where Satan came at Eve. She was close enough to see it. She was close. Not that she, you know, maybe she was sitting there longingly looking at it while all the other fruit is around that she could have. I don't know. I doubt it. But 
she was within seeing distance. Now, here's where the fences actually come in, right? Sometimes we do need to put a little extra fences for ourselves. Don't go putting them on others to just get some distance, to get strong for a while to the point where you can go around the temptation and withstand it. We used to have the Freedom House program here, and, and we'd hear guys all the time come in like, I have to quit my job. I can't be there anymore. It's too much temptation. Well, fine for a while, right? Come here, get strong, be in the church, get around people, make relationships, build those foundations. But then at some point, you got to go back into the real world. Can't live in this Christian bubble forever. God called us to go into the world. Not be of it, but go into it. I could walk into their same workplace and resist temptation. I want to make you strong enough to do that. Where you can be in the same vicinity as the drugs that you're so tempted by and not do it. Like it's just ludicrous to even do it anymore. That's the power of knowing the word and getting in community. That's actually number two. Sorry, it took a long time to get there. But get in community. Build those foundations. Make relationships with people that can help you put things in perspective, figure it out, give you scripture you didn't know yet, right? And number three, none of this would have happened if they had just trusted their creator. Trust your creator. It comes down to a lack of trust in the guy who made us. And we do this all the time. Some, we, some of us, we can trust God with some things, but not our money. He can do everything else. He can help me forgive. He can heal my diseases. But he couldn't possibly know about money. Right? I'm not going to tithe 10%. That's, no. Do you know, Jesus, by the way, when people use, uh, they say tithing isn't actually mentioned in the New Testament. But Jesus held it up. Jesus was like, yeah, of course you should tithe. You should also be merciful and love people. But tithing was like, yeah, of course. <laughs> of course you should. Some of us trust God with our money, but not our sex life. It just got really quiet. Some of us trust God with our sex life and our money, but we're stealing from work. God actually gave me this while I was preparing this. Somebody this weekend needs to hear this, and I don't know who, but somebody's stealing from work. And you think it's a victimless crime? And you think nobody's going to know. And you think this is the only way I can provide for my family. It's not. Trust your creator. Stop taking things that are not yours. Your sin will find you out. Stop now. Now. Don't wait. Not just one more. Just don't do it. You're going to get caught. It's going to snowball. It's going to be bad. Stop doing it. Trust your creator. Sometimes we get power hungry, right? We just want to collect all of the control, collect all of the power, thinking that if we control everything, we'll be safe. Not knowing that God is the one who actually controls everything. Just trust him. Just trust him. Eve wanted wisdom. She wanted that wisdom because with the knowledge came power. And there is knowledge and power to be had out there, but it's meant to kill, steal, and destroy it's meant to unravel you. Don't let it. And so they sinned. They rebelled. They chose to do it their own way. And immediately the shame came. And they hid. They sinned and they hid. Because sin always comes between you and God. Always. And it's not him that's pulling away. God didn't hide from them after they hid. They hid from him. That's what shame does. Even after they had covered themselves, did you notice that? They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves, and then they went and hid anyway. But the, the thing is, shame comes from within. It's not covered up easily on the outside. It's not external. And this is important because our world right now wants to tell you that shame is external, that it comes from the outside, that it comes from other people disapproving of what you're doing. And if we could just get enough people to approve of what I'm doing, I wouldn't feel this shame anymore. It's a lie. Shame comes from within. It comes from sin. It comes from rebellion against God. You'll never get enough people to approve. It'll always be there. It's, it's like we're saying to God, 
I don't trust your identity for me. I'm going to go with my gut instead. In my way is better. And God says, okay, you may. There's free will. You can even have kind of a relationship with me while you do it. But it's going to be outside of my perfect will and plan for you. And it's not going to be easy. We have to trust our creator. But they didn't. Genesis 3.8 says, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Have you ever played hide-and-seek with a four-year-old? They hide behind the couch, but like you can see half of them still, but you still come in the room. Where are you? <laughs> Do you think God didn't know? You think he didn't know the answer? You think he didn't know legitimately where they were? Our God is all-knowing, all-powerful. He, he knows all the things. Of course he knew. But we see this a lot in scripture. God asking us questions that he obviously must know the answer to. So why does he ask? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Again, do you think he didn't know? Or is he trying to get Adam to identify where the bad information came from to maybe not trust it again in the future? Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Maybe he wasn't clear enough, so he just... <laughs> drove the point home. The man replied, it was the woman you gave me, and points the fingers all the other places, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. The Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. Again, passing the buck. That's why I ate it. See, it's interesting to me here that as soon as their eyes were open, God also asked them to open their mouths. He knew what had happened. He knew who told them to do what had happened. He knew it. He knew where they were hiding. He asked them to speak it out loud. There's a reason for that. It's actually the power of confession. Catholicism talks about it a lot. We tend to talk more about uh, repentance, right? That you should acknowledge what the problem is, but also turn from it and stop doing it. You can't just confess it and keep doing it over and over. It's not the same thing. But there is power in confession because it's often the first step to getting to repentance. You have to admit that there's a problem to be able to fix it, right? And there's two things we've been studying in my Wednesday night women's group, Bold and Brave, about the power of confession. Number one, secrecy doesn't work anyway. It just doesn't. God knows where you're hiding. He knows what you're hiding. And oftentimes the people around you, they know too. That might be for somebody tonight. I felt that one. People around you probably know, at least have an inkling, a feeling. They might not know specifically, but they probably can tell something's off. You think you're hiding it really well, but they can tell. God knows. You're not hiding it from him. could never hide it from him. In fact, we see this all throughout scripture too, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. When they conspired together, a married couple conspired together to sell the land that they had and give all of the money to the church, except they didn't actually give all of the money to the church. They withheld half of it and told the church that it was all of it, completely missing the point of what the church was doing in this case. It, they latched onto the religion of it and not the authenticity of it, and they deceived not the church leaders because they didn't know. They deceived God. And God struck them dead on spot. Yikes, right? Secrecy doesn't work. Anyway, the woman at the well, do you remember that story? She doesn't expect to see Jesus. She sort of, not lies, but doesn't tell him the whole truth about who she is. She says, I'm not married. And he says, that's right, you're not. Because I actually know your whole life story. And you've been married five times. And like he, he reveals who he is by revealing what he knows. And it's a lot more than she told him. Secrecy doesn't work. It just doesn't work anyway. Number two, there's mercy in confession. 
And now, and I know this sermon has been hard to hear up until now, but this is where it starts to change because there's mercy and confession. There's mercy. And we see this over and over throughout scripture too. The, the guy hanging on the cross beside Jesus had lived a life of, of sin and crime. He admits what happens. He turns to God in his final moments and he's with Jesus in paradise. There's mercy in confession because Jesus wants to come into the mess that you've created or other people have created in your life and help you clean it up. We often think we have to be perfect before we come to God. It's just not true. In fact, you'll never come to God if you wait for that. He wants the mess as well. He wants you to open your mouth. Be honest with him, even if it's angry honesty, even if it's doubtful honesty. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Faith of a mustard seed. Mustard seed. Just a little bit of faith is all it takes to have an honest conversation with God. And then the promises can be unlocked. Open your mouth and watch the promises be unlocked. Watch this. Genesis 3, verse 14. God starts handing out punishments. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. That's, by the way, the very first messianic prophecy. First time God prophesied that someone was coming to crush the head of the serpent was right after the very first sin. Immediately, immediately, they sinned, they had a promise. They sinned, they had hope. They sinned and admitted it, and God was there to help clean up the mess. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. You will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. So there will always be this power struggle between men and women. And to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. He goes on to talk about thorns and thistles, the sweat of your brow. We're going to skip a little bit. Verse 20, then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve, because she would be the mother of all who will live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. This is one of those verses you can easily skip over. But think about it for a second. The Lord God made animal skins. The very first things to die in this brand new creation were animals, innocent animals, to cover the guilty. And the Lord did it. He didn't command it to be done. He didn't ask them to bloody their own hands. The Lord God bloodied his own hands to cover the guilty. What does that sound like? The gospel, the good news, God coming down and sacrificing himself for you has been from the very first pages of scripture. We sinned, he stepped in. We sinned, he sacrificed himself. Innocent blood was shed by the Lord God Almighty to cover the guilty. The best argument, by the way, this is another apologetics piece, but the best argument for a literal six-day creation, not 6,000 years or 6 million years, you know, <clears throat> is that there would have had to have been death before the fall if evolution were true. We believe that God created a mature earth. Instead of planting saplings, he created huge trees, right? So he created a mature earth and was created in six days because death didn't happen before the fall. Death and sin, death and pain were a result of sin. If evolution is true and, and humans didn't exist for millions of years after everything else, then death would have had to have happened. It's in the evolution theory, right? The weak die, the strongest survive. It happened in six days. And sin caused death. Then the Lord God said, look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life, and eat it? Then they will live forever. So, I believe, out of mercy... 
because who wants to live in a sin-cursed world forever? The Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made, purpose restored. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Promise unlocked. Mouths open. Promise unlocked. Did, did you know the gospel was patterned all throughout scripture? Over and over and over again, we see this pattern of sacrifice for sin and restoration afterward. Here, God makes clothes for his messed up people out of innocent animals. He covers the guilty with the blood of the innocent and in doing so restores their dignity, by the way. They had shame. God covered it with blood of the innocent. Isn't that just what he was going to do thousands of years later for all people? Jesus wasn't just shown up on the scene 4,000 years into creation. He's always been sacrificing himself over and over and over. Mankind became like God when we sinned and that we know good and evil. And the direct result was that God would become like man. Jesus Christ to die in our place. The band can go ahead and start getting ready. It's easy to look back at Adam and Eve and say, how stupid. I mean, you had a perfect world. How could you? Right? It's just so dumb. But it's much harder to actually look in the mirror and see all the ways that we've rebelled against God just today yet. Just this morning, all the ways that I decided my way is better than your way. My thoughts better than your thoughts. I'm going to believe what I want about me. Not what you want, God. Not what you created me to be. All the ways that I'm still not trusting him. All the ways that I think I know better. And we're all going to question things at one time or another. It's part of our God-given quality. In us, we were given the authority to rule over and subdue our planet in just the chapter before we read today in Genesis 2. It's our God given nature, but we can't let those questions go unanswered by God. Answer them, take them to God. Our best life is lived in total submission 100%. The only life that ever was lived in 100% submission was Jesus's and he chose to lay it down for all of us that couldn't do it 100% he changed the world forever and the message of the gospel the good news is that even when we don't live our best lives he will seek us out Genesis says that God walked in the garden but we only see him walking in the garden after they sinned we don't know if he was there but even after they sinned, Jesus, even then, was seeking and saving the lost. He went and looked for them. We sang a song earlier that says, I call, you answer. But did you know, even when you're not calling, when you're hiding, Jesus is still walking by saying, where are you? Where are you? Not because he doesn't know. Because he wants you to acknowledge that you need to be found. He wants you to acknowledge that you aren't doing this well enough on your own. And you need him. They weren't truly lost from God in the garden. And neither are we. Some of you think you are so far from God today. But truly, he's walking by, even now, saying, where are you? He's seeking you because he wants to save you and, and he's not asking you where are you because he doesn't know he's asking because he wants you to acknowledge that you want to be found that you're ready to submit and walk in his promises again do you know how many promises we can claim as followers of Jesus throughout the word promises for provision list those promises up there for me there's so many of them for protection for safety for strength he wants to give you good from the bad, Romans 8.28 says. So many promises that are yours to claim. They're all in your notes too. Study them. Claim them in your
cancel the claim that sin has on you by accepting his love and his forgiveness. That's the amazing thing about God. He has always had a plan, always, to bring us back to him and to restore us with dignity. That's why we raise our hands in worship. And we were signifying that we play a role in our lives, but that role is to submit, to surrender. Nothing in my hands will fix my life. His will will fix my life. I'm surrendering to it. I'm trusting in the one who created me because he created me strategically and perfectly to be where I am and who I am. Just like Adam and Eve, you have everything you need right now. You've been placed in this time. You've been provided for. You've been given an environment to thrive and you have a purpose in this life. Did you notice, by the way, God restored purpose too? When they were hiding, they weren't in their purpose. They weren't working. God sent them to tend the garden, right? Were they doing that when they were hiding? Sin comes between you and your God-given purposes as well. Some of you are questioning, I I've been called to something, but it's not happening yet. What's going on? I thought God's call was without repentance, right? Why isn't it happening? Well, maybe it's because you're hiding. God wants to restore his purposes in your life, but you have to confess what you're doing and move past it. And he'll restore your purpose again. He'll give you another garden to tend. Restoring your purpose and your relationship with him. In this life between two gardens, we can show others that there's a better way. They don't have to live their lives hiding from their creator anymore. If we can just open our mouths have an honest conversation with God about all the ways that we've gone wrong. And by the way, you don't have to have that conversation with your head down in shame. He's called you to lift your head. In fact, Psalm says God is the lifter of your head. Stop looking down in shame if you've been forgiven. Look up. God wants you to look up because he sends rescue every time and he wants to unlock his promises for you. Today, some of you need to confess some things. You need to get real with God. Some of it's not even things that you've done. It's things that have been done to you and you can't forgive and move on. You can't trust again. Some of us need to ask God for his forgiveness and remember why we came to this faith in the first place. Because it's been clouded for a while things we weren't ready to admit. And today we're going to take communion together. Hopefully you got one of these when you came in. If not, the ushers will be around. Wave at somebody to get one. This is the symbol for Jesus' body, the wafer, and his blood shed for us. This is the sacrifice that he keeps doing for you over and over and over again. And he built this little piece of routine, this little piece of religion back into our faith to help us remember. Because we're extremely forgetful human beings. We accept forgiveness one day and the next day we're back to the very same thing that we've just been set free from. Jesus said, remember the sacrifice. Have an honest conversation with me. In fact, he said, don't take communion if you're not ready to be honest. You drink curses upon yourself, just don't do it. Today you're going to have an opportunity to have an honest conversation with God. Before we do that, I want to pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for seeking and saving the lost. You are a God that lays down his life for us, sacrificially, selflessly you for setting us free. Thank you that we don't have to be like the dog returning to his vomit anymore. Like fools to folly. That we can turn around, repent of what we're going through, and trust you. God, bring us into submission. Into the pure trust of who you are. Set us free. Open hearts and minds right now that we would be able to identify exactly 
what's wrong in our lives. Let me be able to give it to you fully and completely. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. Let's sing.